Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Good afternoon. Good to be with you and with all of our listeners. Good to be with you as well. Um, so let's see, Brian, we're, we're closing in soon at the All-Star break, not quite halfway through the season. Been sort of a disappoint disappointment for both of us, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I'll say one thing. It's also we're we're going into the U.S. Open, which is being played at Los Angeles Country Club. And as a Yankee fan, I can only hope that the players in the in the U.S. Open find L.A. Country Club safer um, than Aaron Judge found Dodger Stadium. Mm. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Wow. Okay. We're like starting off on a somber note. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yankee fans are not happy about that. Um, yeah. The fact that uh, that outfield walls and fences are not secure yeah. and that you can just get through them and, and injure Hall of Famers pretty easily. Well, it's yes, and it's also pretty uh, disappointing. We have the Subway Series, the Mets and Yankees starting, and we have both Judge and Alonzo out of the yeah. lineup for both teams. So that sort right. of takes a little bit of the fun out of that rivalry, but um, we'll see. Hopefully the Mets can get it, get themselves back on track. And then after the Yankees, they've got uh, the hometown, the Stiefel hometown favorites, the Cardinals. There you go. That that's, that's the series to watch. That is that it would two. sorry for all our St. Louis listeners and friends, but those are two of the, that is a, a series between two of the most disappointing teams so far in baseball, the Mets and St. Louis, um, St. Louis in last place, the Mets almost in last place. I don't think many people saw that coming. And, and not to go off on a tangent, since you mentioned the t- two most disappointing teams in baseball, we can throw the San Diego Padres in yeah. there. Yeah, well. I, agree. I mean, how do you spend that much money on that many stars and have so little to show for yeah. it? No, I agree. I, I don't think too many people would have taken at the beginning of the season that uh, Arizona and Tampa Bay uh, would have the two best uh, records in baseball. Sure at this point of the season. So we'll see. Um, all right. Well, then we got the sports out of the way, although there is sort of another sport. It's becoming a sport, which is this courthouse watching for, for President Trump. How's that for a hard turn segue? That's impressive. It's impressive. But nevertheless, that's where we are. We have a second Trump indictment, this one on federal charges. I believe the first time we've ever had a president facing federal charges, but he's about to be indicted for a second time. Um, this obviously, Brian, is kind of taking over, even though we're a ways, um, you know, we're away, we're quite a ways from the 2024 presidential race. There are a lot of Republican candidates announcing that field is growing, and clearly what's going on with the former President Trump is taking center stage among those uh among that field. So what do you think the second indictment does politically for both uh you know, current policy, the the GOP field, and the broader 2024 race. Yeah, so you know there are legal questions and there are political questions. So we're going to separate the two. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the the legal issues and the legal questions aside for now. Um, that that's a whole different podcast. Um, but on the political side, um, and, and I will say th- th- those two those two issues, legal and political, they'll, they'll probably intersect later on. But right now, it's 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 more political than anything else. And I think for now, the indictment probably bolsters Trump, um, the former president. Um, you know, he, he received a, a bump in the polls following the indictment in New York. Because of that, we may not see a similar bump because those numbers are or have already baked served. In. They're baked in. They're baked, yeah, they're baked in. in. And, and how much more 
how much more upside does he have? It's probably limited. Um, so we may not see another surge a la New York, but it does help to solidify that surge. It gives that that uh, bump in the polls some staying power. Um, so that that may last a while. Um, we'll have to see. Um, I think the, the GOP is going to continue to rally around Trump um, and his position as the front runner is more secure than it was a couple of months ago. Um, so Republican candidates are going to need to see a change in thinking among Republican voters, really, in order to have a, a chance at winning. Um, that, that attitude that has uh, among the base is going to have to shift a little bit. And, and it can. Um, I'm not saying it can't. Um, you know, this past weekend, in the last day or so, we, we saw a little shift um, by some of the other candidates, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, a couple of others. They started arguing that um, not so much on the political issue of whether there's a double standard on how these issues are litigated with Democratic lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, but they were arguing that the handling of the classified documents was reckless yeah. and that Trump can't be trusted with a second term because he he um, mishandled these documents and it's a national security threat. Um, I should also note, there's an outside group um, uh, aligned with uh, Coke Industries and the Coke brothers. Um, that's gonna start running ads uh, in New Hampshire, I believe, and probably other, uh, other states claiming that Trump can't win in 2024 and that nominating Trump is going to lead to President Biden's reelection. We'll see if if that criticism and any kind of shift among Republicans because they view Trump as being reckless with the documents. We'll see if that gains traction or not. Um, if it does, I think other candidates can get back into this race. Um, if not, um, Trump is very well positioned to to be renominated. Yeah, I mean, I think you know when you say how much more of a bump could he get in the polls like he did the first time. I also think that that there is some level of people thinking that all politicians do this, right? That 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 Trump may be the one uh, indicted for it, but that everyone has taken documents. Um, and you mentioned Christie and Haley not necessarily um, talking about that argument, just talking about he was it was reckless of him to do that. But I, I think there's something to be said about the the general public feeling that Trump is probably not the only politician to have done this, and therefore maybe it doesn't sting quite as bad. Quite as bad. I, I, I agree, but that, that that gets heavily into the legal issues and the yeah. distinctions among various cases, and that's why I said we'll leave that for for another podcast. Yeah. Well, in this one, we've got the photographs too, which, you know, with the indictment, we have, the, we have the evidence. Now we all know what Mar-a-Lago looks like for those of us who haven't been there. Um, all right. Well, then, then let's put Trump aside and let's talk more, um, more general uh, Washington stuff. Let's talk about Congress for a second. I think when we last spoke, uh, we were talking about the debt ceiling uh, bill passing and there seemed to be a little bit of a, of a era of goodwill and good feelings. That doesn't seem to have lasted very long, has it? No, that, that, the, the era of good feelings is over. Um, so Freedom Caucus members, and, and for the people who don't listen to us regularly or don't follow politics, um, that, that's a group of uh, conservative Republicans uh, who have been at loggerheads with Speaker McCarthy. This is the group that tried to block him from becoming Speaker back in January. Those members are, are angry over the debt ceiling bill. Um, they don't think that Speaker McCarthy and his team got Republicans a very good deal. Um, their main complaint is that spending levels uh, were not rolled back to fiscal year 2022 levels. Um, and because of their leverage over the speaker and his position as speaker, um, they've blocked 
unrelated legislation in order to kind of force an agreement on these spending bills. Remember, the, the debt ceiling bill put a cap on spending. It didn't put a floor on it. So these this group of Republicans is trying to go under the cap. That's what this fight is about. Um, so the Republican leadership and the speaker seem to have given the Freedom Caucus a little room to um, to maneuver right now. And um, it seems like the Appropriations Committee, which is responsible for writing all these spending bills, all 12 of them, they're going to try and write the, those bills at 2022 levels. Um, there's a little... Um, uh, there's a lack of clarity about whether defense would also go to 22 levels. Um, we'll see. And that's part of the problem. Um, defense hawks don't want to roll back to, to 2022 and that defense hawks in both parties. Um, they, uh, the Republican defense hawks were upset that the, the debt ceiling bill only got a 3% increase in, in defense spending. Uh, they want more. Um, and, De- and Democrats certainly won't agree to domestic spending at FY22 levels. And I should note, you know, I think there are probably some moderate Republicans who would join those Democrats. They want to constrain spending, but they don't want to cut back to 22 numbers. Um, so, you know, how this all plays out in September is going to be really interesting. Um, spending bills need to get passed by October 1. If not, there's a shutdown. Uh, I should note there's kind of a new mechanism because of the debt ceiling bill that um, if you get to January 1, which is the calendar year, not the fiscal year, then then the government would reopen at that point um, automatically and there would be some automatic spending cuts. Um, but for now, you know, that period in October, November, December, um, it's a little bit up in the air about whether there's going to be a, a government shutdown or not. So uh, interesting. So if there was a shutdown, um, what kind of risk does that pose for the financial markets, do you think? It's a short term one and a temporary one. Um, Equity markets typically sell off at the start of a shutdown. So there is some political risk in September, assuming that this doesn't get resolved beforehand. Um, The good news for investors is that markets bounce back quickly. You know, once you once the headlines hit that a deal is imminent to reopen the government, uh, the markets bounce back. Um, so, you know, investors should just know that there's likely to be some kind of sell-off if this government shutdown scenario plays out. Um, not to panic over it, um, stocks bounce back. Got it. Um, how about corporate taxes? We've talked about this before, um, but now there does appear to be some movement on corporate tax issues. We've talked about it before, and I think we're going to be talking about it for the remainder of the year. Um, So the House Ways and Means Committee is marking up a a package of tax bills, um, and uh, it has implications for businesses, um, and it could be included in a year-end defense bill. Well, that's a good teaser. Why don't you tell (laughs) (laughs) care to Care to to enlighten us on what might be uh, included? Yeah, only if you're nice to me, Neil. Um, always, always. So uh, it, it would. It, there are a number of provisions. I'm just going to focus on a handful of them, which I think are most relevant for the um, the business community. One, it would suspend the changes in the R and D deduction. It used to be that R and D expenses were immediately deductible. Um, that changed uh, last year per the 27 tax cut law, um, and it went uh, R and D expenses are required to be amortized over several years. Um, so this bill would temporarily suspend that and send it back to an immediate uh, expensing. 
Um, it would also kind of um, expand what's allowable under the business interest deduction. Uh, that was capped at 30% of EBIT um, in the tax bill. But last year on schedule, um, EBIT was expanded to include depreciation and amortization. And so that limited that 30% uh, de uh, deductibility and expensing. And so th th this bill would roll that back to just EBIT. Um, so I should also know one of the pay-fors are the offsets because these changes cost the government money and you know Republicans are going to look to to offset some of those costs and they're also going to look to make some policy changes. The the current package would eliminate some of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act tax credits, the, some of the clean energy tax credits. Now, Democrats are not going to support that. Um, so I, I think that section is going to get dropped later. Um, and the outcome of the overall bill is kind of tied with the child tax credit. Democrats have been um, pushing to expand the child tax credit, um, and they see this bill as leverage. So they may not um, support the bill, and that would kill it in the Senate unless uh, unless there's a corresponding increase uh, in the child tax credit to go along with the corporate tax changes. So this is a debate that's going to be going on. Uh, throughout the summer and the fall, um, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure it all out um, later on when the National Defense Authorization Bill comes up, because that that's probably going to be the vehicle by which all of this goes. But definitely something for not just investors, but uh, obviously the the business community itself to uh, to keep an eye on. All right. Well, that keeps us going. That keeps Potomac Perspective, the podcast, alive. <laughs> Clearly, with an eye towards season three. Exactly. Well, you know, that's going to be here before you know it. Before I mean, you know it. I mean, we, right. we talk about the election through being here two. before we know it, but season three will be here even soon. Well, we're halfway through season two. Yeah, exactly. So, and by the way, we should, and we're going to wrap up in a second, but we did briefly address sports and we did neglect to mention we do have a little bit of a fan base out in Denver. And we didn't mention the fact that the Nuggets have now won the NBA championship. So we should throw our um, Colorado and Denver area listeners. I, I, I know there is a large group of our colleagues in, in Stiefel's Municipal Finance yep. Department in Denver. And so a tip of the hat uh, to all of them. Um, there may be even a KBW salesman whose name will go unmentioned who's out there, but I'm not sure that he's a Denver Nuggets fan. Um, this is to see if he's listening to the podcast. Got it. He will, he is he a, is he a, yeah. is he a transplant? He is. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of transplants, by the way, in that yes. in that area for Stiefel and KBW. All right. Well, Brian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out and giving us the lowdown on what's happening in Washington. Appreciate it as always. Thank you, Neil. It's good to be with you. And thanks to everybody for listening. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Potomac Perspective. Take care.